to worship your holy name. And so, Father, once again, as we open your word, just bless us for gathering together as your people, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn to tell your neighbors, Happy Cinco de Mayo. Happy Cinco. We have our special guests this morning, the young theologians. Hey, Oscar, can you give me this mic here? I got this mic here. Okay. We have a big group. They're still piling in. Come on up, guys. They should be very loud. Whoops, I came unplugged here, Oscar. Come on up so everybody can see you. They don't need to see me. They'll be looking at me for the next hour, two hours. Okay, I don't think we even need a mic today. Okay, you guys got to be real loud, okay? What verse are we doing? Isaiah 42, 8. Okay, are we ready? When I say three, okay? One, two, three. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to part images. Isaiah 42, 8. All right, don't go forward. Go around back with the way you came. Very good. Pushing and shoving is okay, just don't run. couple of things before we get started. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. We'll be picking up in John's epistle. As always, if you arrived here today without a Bible, we'd like for you to follow along. And, and there should be one in front of you, in front of you, in front of your seat, underneath the seat. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, just raise your hands and the ushers will bring one to you. Does anybody need one? Everybody good? Hey, we, uh, we have some Quake tickets to a Quake baseball game. The rub here is they're on Mother's Day. They're May 12th at 2 o'clock. So I have four of them. If anybody is interested, first come, first serve. Um, we've been praying for Jim and Dee Simmons. And uh, Jim's still in the hospital. At least he was yesterday. I went to visit him yesterday after the men's breakfast in the convalescent home. And um, he's doing a little bit better. Uh, he has his ups and downs, so just continue to pray for him. Um, 
He uh, had one test that he had passed. He's trying to get on the heart transplant list. He passed a test, and um, he has one more, but it's not as crucial as they thought. So what they do is there's obviously only a limited amount or number of hearts that, that are available out there. And so they evaluate each person, and they go through this battery of tests, and then they put them on a list. And there's a board of doctors that basically votes for that person if this person is eligible or not eligible and whatnot. And it sounds like that's going to be pretty much the next step. So just keep that up in prayer as far as the Lord's will concerning um, Jim just moving forward in this, in this journey of his, his heart transplant. Continue not only to lift up Jim in prayer, but lift up Dee in prayer as well. She was in the hospital with a kidney infection a week ago or so, a week and a half ago. So this has been pretty hard on her. She's obviously spending a lot of time in the hospital with Jim. She's his advocate, basically. So just pray that the Lord would do a great work in both of them physically. And um, we would just see what what he's going to do in, in Jim's life. Go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. First John chapter 1, we'll be looking at the first four verses today after an introduction. John writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the Word of life. The life was manifest, and we have seen and bear witness and declared to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. Lord, there's a promised result from studying this epistle. John had reason and purpose. It's because the church was getting offline. They were going towards man's intellect and man's ideas, and as they were doing so, they were losing their joy. They were losing their joy because they were turning away from God's word. And so John has written this epistle in response to the Gnosticism of the day, but also so that the body of Christ would get back that joy and that excitement, and that would be a a motivational force, Lord, not just in their witnessing, but as other people see them and and Christ in them. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen our joy through the series of studies that we have in 1 John, that you would bless us and prepare us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Notice that John doesn't do here what the Apostle Paul usually does here. John's more interested in introducing the reader to Jesus Christ than himself. The problem with Paul, or the issue with Paul is, or that he had to face, let me put it that way, people were calling into question his apostleship. So, so many times he would have to point out that he was an apostle and and work off of that. Well, John was universally recognized as being one of the apostles, so he bypasses the introduction and he goes right to Jesus Christ. Now, I think we do need to back up a little bit, though, and get a little background on the apostle. Most of us know these things, but again, he is one who's been called and commissioned by Jesus Christ to go forth and make disciples. We all have, but he was one of the original 12. He was the brother of James, not James as far as the author of the epistle of James, but James, his brother, is the one, well, he's the first of the apostles to be martyred for his faith. He's the son of Zebedee and Salome. He's the cousin of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the self-described, almost seemed arrogantly, 
he's trying to take my place, but the one whom Jesus loved. But again, you have to keep in mind, why would he think that? Because he was the only one of the apostles who were at the foot of the cross. He was the only one who was there and looked up into the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. The ultimate expression of love that anybody can express, but this is the love that God is expressing to humanity. Yet while you are still a sinner, I'm willing to pay the price for you that you can have eternity with me. Those are the eyes that the Lord... I'm sorry, that John looked up into, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it was through that that I am sure it was impressed upon his heart, I truly must be the one whom Jesus loved. There was a point in time when both he and his brother seemed to have a little bit of an anger issue, and the Lord nicknamed them Sons of Thunder. They were passing through a town, and the town refused them to come through the town, and so they asked the Lord, would you like us to call fire down upon this town? It's a good thing that we do not have that ability because everybody who would reject us, we'd be calling fire down upon. And instead of people getting saved, people would be getting torched. And that's not a good thing. John was the only one of the apostles who lived the full natural life. I say natural, he died of natural causes. It was anything but natural in that he was sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ. They tried to kill him, but he was unkillable. And I've mentioned this before, we're immortal as long as God has planned and purpose for our lives. God has ordained the day of our death, and he ordained the day of John's death, and man could not do anything to alter what God's plan was. John, well, they tried. They tried boiling him in oil, but he was fireproof. They tried to torment him and exile him, but wherever it is that the Lord had him, there he was faithful. After being exiled to the island of Patmos, where he penned the book of Revelation, after some years he returned to Ephesus, where he lived out his days. The Apostle John, for a period of time, was the pastor at the church at Ephesus. He observed some shortcomings, though, within the church. Most of us can relate to them today. There seemed to be a lot of new Christians, and a lot of the ones who weren't so new Christians were immature Christians. They were being swayed by every wind of doctrine, and this particular doctrine that was going through was called Gnosticism. Gnosticism, that Gnosticism is Greek for knowledge. Gnosticism is the mindset that through knowledge I can obtain a right relationship with Jesus Christ, or a right relationship with God that it's a process that can be obtained through the exercising and the filling of the intellect. Well, that on its, its surface is, is not how God works. We must know the gospel. There's no doubt about it. But it's not through the receiving of the knowledge that I'm right with Jesus Christ. It's through the accepting of the knowledge that Christ presents to me. It's not that I study the word of God and I get writer with God. Once I'm a born-again believer, I'm a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Praise God. And and yeah, I want to get into a more intimate relationship with him. I want to know him greater. But as far as that, as all that is, is that, that that strengthens my relationship. And especially during, well, as times of trouble or they come down the pike, that I'm better prepared to weather and I'm better prepared to be used by the Lord and what he has called me to do. But once I'm in, I'm in. I have seven grandchildren. I have four children. I don't really have a favorite. I don't have a favorite whatsoever. They're all unique in who they are. They're, they're, they're not going to gain more knowledge or anything. There's nothing that they can do to make them more favored in my eyesight. 
They're all mine. Well, they're the Lord's, but I take temporary possession of them. They're, they're, they're all mine, and, and I love them all. And it's the same thing with God. There's not a person behind the pulpit that God favors any more than anybody else. We're all children of God, again, through faith in Jesus Christ. So new or poorly taught Christians are most susceptible to false teachings, and, and as they are, they're easily swayed. And the problem with that is you lose your joy in the Lord. Well, we live in such a time as the church that John was writing to. We, we live in an age of information. There, there's people here that maybe even here, and that's okay, but if you kind of think that something might say just doesn't sound right, or I never heard that before, you can take out your phone and you can check it out. I've had people, hey, Pastor Mike, you know you said this, and I was looking on the internet, and this says this. You know, so it's age of instant information. And that's got its good place, and that's got its bad. We are ministering to a generation that is very knowledgeable, but a lot of that knowledge has worked towards their detriment because we never advance past the plain teaching of the Word of God. Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. Now, I don't want you to get stalled out there, but never think that you advance past that. Continue to grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's what we closed with last week in Second Peter. And so in John, we have the example of a man with the heart of a loving shepherd and also a pastor who cares for his flock. Two times in this book, John refers to the recipient of this letter as his brethren. He understands that we're all brothers in Christ. He's not the father. God's the father. He's a brethren. He's been brought in through adoption, just as we've all been brought in through adoption. Nine times he refers to them as little children. Speaking of their maturity, I'm sure it's a reminder to him and that I've got to train up these people, a reminder to them that they must be learners. Again, that's what disciple means. As we'll see, John is also the one who has seen the risen Lord. He has had that experience with God, and he has that desire to convey the experience with God that he has had. It's the essence of discipleship once more, and really evangelism. You've experienced Jesus Christ. You experienced Jesus Christ in an intimate way on the day that you became born again, and you want to express that with others. But as you go through your life and as Christ meets you in your different situations and circumstances, you, I pray, want others to be able to experience him as well. And so part of what we do is we share our testimony or our life experiences with Christ. Because just as God will meet you, God will meet others in an intimate way as well. And so John wrote this letter for the main purposes of aiding, encouraging, and establishing believers in Christ. And I'd have to present to you today that it worked, because the church continues strongly. The church continues to move forward. We always hear about all of the negative stuff, and we can get hung up on the negative stuff. And really, the negative stuff is the fallacy of man. But when you focus upon the fallacy of man, what happens? You lose your joy in the Lord. Jesus is still on the throne. The church is still his church that has been founded upon the rock. And the church will continue to prevail in the midst of this perverse generation until God says it's time for the church to come home. But even during the end times, God is going to be in perfect control of everything that is going on. 
And then there's going to come a time when the church comes back with Christ and all of these things are tied up and we're going to rule and reign with him for a thousand years. Satan is going to be bound during that time, but man man will continue to, well, his sinful nature will get the best of him. There's going to come a time when Satan is going to be released at the end of that thousand years and as Satan is released, he's going to deceive the nations because, again, those people who are around during that time, as far as not us ruling and reigning, but those who have been born... They're still ruled by the flesh. And Satan is going to attempt once more to attack God and God's people. But through the word of God, he's going to fail. And as he fails, then it's going to be he and those who do not or have not received the Lord. They are going to receive the judgment that they have chosen to do so. And then there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And we will forever live in the glory of God. We'll forever live in the light of his presence. Are you excited about that at all? (laughs) Amen. 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 This is a good thing, okay? The the main theme here is joy. (laughs) Wake up. (laughs) Don't be thinking about tacos or Cinco de Mayo's or anything like that. And so John understands the difference And this is a key here. He understands the difference between diseases and symptoms. He knows that the church goes astray when it starts to deal with symptoms to the detriment of the disease. So the main symptoms the church spends its time wrestling with is a political situation, abortion, homosexual agenda, and we'll deal with all these symptoms. Now, I'm not saying that we don't devote time towards those things, but when we make that the main focal point of our ministry, we've missed the boat. Because you have to deal with the root cause. And the root cause, that's the disease, the sinful nature of mankind. The reason that these things, the political situation is as it is, abortion exists in this country, the homosexual agenda, or anything else, is because the sinful nature of man. And the sinful nature of man is the core that needs to be dealt with. And the only way that core gets dealt with is through people sharing the word of God, people being proactive, such as the apostle John is. And so we have the gospel We have the gospel knowing that the world will never be made right. It's going to be destroyed. But mankind can be made right in spite of the condition of the world. So regardless of what's going on around us, we already know. I just laid it out quickly, if you were awake. Our side wins, and we're on that side. All right, good. You're finally getting it but we have a responsibility to tell others. We have a responsibility to say, hey, when when I came into this saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, it changed my life. Hey, when when I was sick, I prayed. And and some people will say, I prayed and and God healed me and I got better. And, And the same thing can happen with you. Other people will say, well, Pastor Mike came and prayed with me and I got worse but it's not about Pastor Mike, but I understood that God was doing the work, and and I even in the midst of that, I received joy and and understanding. They need to know that a relationship with Christ is truly where, as Jay Vernon would say, the rubber meets the road. This is the reality of our Christian faith working in our lives, and our Christian faith does work in our lives, and the only way people are going to really know that as they see you, as they examine your life, as they know well, as they know the truth of God's word, but see the truth of God's word working in reality in a human life. 
We are not to strive towards world unity and order, but we are to set the lives of individuals in unity and order with God through Jesus Christ. I don't want to be unified with the world. The world's going to be destroyed. The world's going to be judged. I want to be separate. I want to be not of this world. John states in this epistle... Just the realities of these things. He's wanting, you know, even as I read these first verses, and we'll go back through them once again, John is I was there. I, I saw him. I didn't just see him. I, I examined him. And the idea behind examining him is examining him in light of the Old Testament scriptures. I, I held him. I, I, I had my head, as we were at that last supper, John could say, I had my head on his chest, And I looked up into his eyes. And as I said before, John could say, I was at the foot of the cross. Seemed like everything was falling apart at that point. But then I realized, no, they're falling into place. And this this is what the scripture said was necessary to happen. And as I looked up into the eyes of grace, once again, I'm the one who Jesus loved. And you should have an argument against that, stating that no, you're the one who Jesus loved because you should have had that very same experience because we have the more sure, as Peter pointed out, the more sure word of God. So what we're going to be looking at, again, just general synopsis, just five things I want to point out as the uh, epistle as a whole, and then again we'll get to our specific verses in just a minute. But John states in this epistle's five areas of encouragement necessary to achieve God's purpose in your personal life. First one is in verse 4, and these things that we write to you that your joy may be full. So you have John's purpose stated right off. He realizes the need for a continual fullness of joy as we are going through our life situations and circumstances. And the devil's trying to rip us off. And and just our shortcomings as we we live this life with this sinful nature, the sinful nature that God has dealt with, but nonetheless still has effect upon our lives. And we can so easily get down. If you are constantly discouraged, how can you possibly encourage anybody? If we do not know that we truly know that God loves me and has died for me, then how can we let others know? We must know the impact and the magnitude of that. You were destined for hell. You were destined for destruction, for eternal separation from God. But God reached into your dark life and pulled you into his marvelous light. It's an amazing thing. If we have a joy about us because of our belief, then we can encourage others through the reason that we are joyful. What is the world looking for? They're looking for all of these short joy fixes. And they're looking means by which they're able to do that. And the problem is this world that's sucking the joy out of their lives. And so they have to go to fantasy. And so I can become somebody else on the internet and get a quick joy fix off of there. Or I can go to some game and I can get a quick joy fix there. Go to the movies and get a quick joy fix there. And I'm talking about people who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But John states, first in his gospel, John 15, verses 10 through 11, that we are told that fullness of joy comes from keeping the commandments of God and abiding in his love. Not keeping the Old Testament commandments and in, in all of those things, going back and that, that was anything but joyful. But just doing the will of God. We, we have vacation Bible school coming up. 
And it's just a joy to me just to see everybody doing their ministry and this church fulfilling its purpose and this place being filled with kids. And it's just a good thing. I had joy yesterday at the men's breakfast. And by the way, I want to thank everybody who put it together. It was just such a neat time. I was in the back and I just took a picture of all the men raising their hands and worshiping and the worship team. They asked me if they could have two guys do worship. We ended up with like nine guys, but that was a good thing. It just made it even so much fuller and and even so much better. And for me, those things are joy and we can't bypass those things. And 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 not first John, but in the gospel of John 16, 22, we are told that we have lasting joy because of the resurrection. We just celebrated that. Wasn't Easter a joyous time just to remember that Christ, although he was crucified, he came back and he continues to live. Our Redeemer lives. And because he was resurrected, we have the knowledge and the surety that one day we'll be resurrected as well. And then in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 24, prayer will keep our hearts joyful. We have that opportunity to have conversations with our God who is seated upon the throne. He desires to hear from you. And it's just a blessing when we understand the magnitude of what that means. Secondly, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous to be an established Christian believer, we need to keep ourselves unblemished from the world and the flesh. But if and when we fall, you have the assurance that you've got an advocate for you. Again, your Redeemer lives. And so I study the scriptures and see that it's sin that has kept me from a relationship with God, but then Christ in his grace and his mercy has brought me into it. But I also see that sin will cause God to turn his face from me. But it's all I need to do is to repent and to have that understanding that I have an advocate or a representative that represents myself before a holy father. And it just keeps giving and giving and giving. I keep mentioning Jim and Dee because of the gravity of Jim's situation. And it's been hard on Dee again because of her sickness. And then she's always at the hospital. Why is she always at the hospital? Number one, because she signed on for better or worse. So she's kind of stuck there. But she's also, and I've seen this working, and it's a neat thing. She's Jim's advocate. Because if you don't know, Dee's a nurse. And she understands a lot of the workings and the goings on. And while he was up at sunset, one of the doctors came in. Jim has a defibrillator that's implanted in him. And this all started when the thing started going off. So, you know, the defibrillator, you know, this thing would go off just that same magnitude. It would knock him down, you know, and it would go off like six times in a row. And so the doctor came up to him and said, if we can get you off of that defibrillator, would you be happy with that? And Jim says, yeah. I mean, I know I would be happy with that. And so the doctor went in and told him to take him off the transplant. Take him off that defibrillator. He's going to be happy. And Dee got wind of it. They were in big trouble. (laughs) No, but... She got him back on the list, and she was there, and she was interceding. He didn't, I mean, the man's sick, he's in medication. I understand what the doctor was talking about. But she made intercession for him, and now he's going to be, or at least we're working towards him being the better for it. And so when I stumble, when I fall, when I transgress, I willfully sin, I, I can have joy in this life that I'm not destroyed and I'm not defeated. Because if I repent, 
he is faithful to forgive. That's why he included verse 9 here in the first chapter. If we, now when he's saying we, he's in, him included, this is the church. This is for the church. If we confess our sins, he, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Understand the magnitude of that and the reality of that. Thirdly, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 23, and this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Notice, in order for me to be aided, encouraged, and established in my walk, in order to have joy, it is necessary for me to have love for one another or for others. Now, if I'm not having love, I mean, it's going to work one or two ways because there's going to be a vacuum here. If I'm not going to be expressing a love for the brethren, a sacrificial love for the brethren, then there's going to be that vacuum where I'm going to be expecting a sacrificial love from the brethren. If you come here expecting that, you're going to leave disappointed. If you come here giving that, you're going to leave here filled because that's what God blesses. That's what God uses. Now, again, you walk into a church, you're not going to like everybody in the church. There's going to be people who are just simply contrary to you. There's going to be who's people whose personalities clash with you. There's going to be people who their looks are just contrary to you, whatever it might be. But what overcomes that is a spirit of love. Now, this is sacrificial love. A sacrificial love overcomes the outward disagreements or whatever you want to call it whatever clashes outwardly and penetrates to the inner person and so we're able to love one another as brothers and sisters it's these things that causes our joy to be full fourthly in first john chapter 2 verse 26 john says these things i have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you so once again the the, the main heading is false teaching. The subheading is the Gnosticism that has entered in. And we'll get into that as we get into the epistle of John. And then fifthly, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Want your joy to be full? Know that Jesus Christ has prevailed. He has prevailed upon the cross. He has forgiven you of all of your sin, past, present, and future. And at one day, as Christ has gone to prepare a place for you, you will be at that prepared place. There you go. Somebody's getting it. <laughs> okay, we've got one person saved here today. <laughs> but again, that, that's the whole idea that you would personalize, eternalize these things, and then they would work out, as we were told previously, that you would work out your salvation. The things that God has done inside will be worked outside of you. Verse 1, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. What John is doing here is he's laying a foundation at the beginning of his epistle that he is going to be building upon. The first foundation is that which was from the beginning. And so just as John took time in his gospel to show the deity of Jesus Christ, it's the reason for the gospel of John, he's visiting that again. That this isn't just a prophet, but this is the Son of God who in fact is God. 
And so just with that first little statement, that which was from the beginning, it's the Greek word arche. Arche means past eternity. It's not just at the beginning of, uh, of, of time or the beginning of earth, although we don't have anything before that, so that's what we will visit. But this is for the beginning. This is past eternity. This is Christ who has always existed and always will existed. But to the Jewish mind, what that speaks, well, it speaks of Genesis chapter 1. So let's get some clues from Genesis chapter 1. Go ahead and turn there. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. So John is speaking of the beginning, so I go back to the beginning that we have, and we are told, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and I'll interject this one word, boom, there was light. He's wanting us to understand. Now, again, this is Christ representing God to mankind. In the beginning, God. And so the Bible makes that statement. It's not asking you to believe in anything or anything along those lines. It's just telling you, in the beginning, God. And it's God who created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And so what we had is all of the elements of the periodic table. Remember, we saw that in Second Peter, that all of those elements later on in a future date are going to dissolve or they're going to burn up. But this is at the beginning. And so he created all the elements and there was this quagmire, such as you would take water and just throw it up in the air. It was void and without form. And what did God do? Well, it says, and the Spirit of God was hovering. Or the idea next to that word hovering, you can also write vibrating. And the idea is, is the power of God. Well, God always sets the example. Every form of power, of energy that we have is in wave form. It's in the form of a vibration. If you have ever been shocked, you can feel that the, the, the ergs, you can feel the, the vibration that goes on there. Light forms in the form of, of light waves. And so again, all forms of naturally occurring forms of power, of energy, are in the form of waves or in the form of vibration. And so this is God through his power who is causing all of this quagmire to become together, compressed together, and made into the earth that we know. And then it says, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. What's the idea behind light? Well, let's turn over to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1. We'll see some more parallels because when John wrote the Gospel, he intended you to look at uh, Genesis as well. The light, the light at this point, there's no stars, there's no sun. What's the source of light? Well, we're not going to turn there, but if you look at Revelation, when those things are done away with, it's the glory of God. Now, the glory of God, the glory of God denotes the presence of God. Now, see how John ties these all together. Genesis chapter 1, light, the glory of God, the presence of God in with Jesus Christ. And something I left out of Genesis, when God said, that speaks of the existence of the word of God as well. And 
John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. Well, we saw that in Genesis. And God said, and God said, and God said. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, verse 3, all things were made through him, through Jesus Christ. And without him, Jesus Christ, nothing was made that was made. In him was the life, and the life was the light of men. And the light, or the presence of God, shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And that's the idea with Jesus Christ. As he was born into humanity, the glory of God is revealed to all of mankind. Remember Moses when he went on top of the hill and he came down on top of the mountain? His face shone. Why? Because he had been in the presence or the glory of God. And he was reflecting God to the people. And it should be the same thing with us, that we reflect Christ to those we come in contact with through speaking the word of God, but putting it in context with the Apostle John's epistle, the joy that we express. And so John is is, is really tying something that if you do your diligence and study Genesis chapter 1, John chapter 1, and 1 John chapter 1, he's really speaking a mouthful here. Colossians chapter 1 Verse 15 tells us he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation. When it says firstborn, first to be raised from the dead is what it's referring to. But the problem here is, and that's why John is establishing who Jesus Christ is, if you're wrong about Jesus Christ, then you're wrong about God. If you're wrong about God, then you're wrong about your worldview. And if you're wrong about your worldview, then you're just simply wrong about everything. You are wrong. The second foundation, which we have heard. We, well, those who have heard through the Old Testament, from the mouth of Jesus, And from the mouth of disciples, that would be our camp. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Now notice the word heard is a past event that continues to impact the hearer even today. Notice how John confronts the philosophy of the Gnostic with the revelation of Christ. That's important. That's one of the most important points made today. The philosophy of mankind. In this particular case, it's the Gnostic, but it doesn't matter. Anybody who starts their presentation with, well, you know what I think? doesn't matter what you think. I've experienced Christ. If what you're going to tell me, if what you have to say is contrary to that, in my mind, you're wrong. You can't overcome the truths that I have experienced in Jesus Christ. And it's not just some sort of experiential thing, because... A lot of cults have experiential things. It's all about the truth and the proven truth of the Word of God and the proven truth of who Jesus Christ is. And so I, we, we, we've heard these things, and the idea is, isn't just sound waves bouncing off my eardrums. It's as I've heard these things, I've digested these things, and even as we celebrate the communion meal, the body and the blood, and as we eat them, they become part of who we are. As I've heard these things, have gone into my brain and it's become part of who I am, who I am even today. So whatever man's latest philosophy is, whatever his latest thought is, whoever the latest uh, philosopher of the world, Dawkins, whoever it might be, I don't even know who the, the, the main one is today. Uh, Dawkins is now a Christian today. He, he died a few years ago and he knows the truth. Unfortunately, it's not going to help him at this point. But he, he, he's the father, or at least the, uh, he was the latest, um, what am I trying to think of, atheist. Um, 
but it matters not. I experience Christ, just as John's pointing out here. I've heard, I've seen, looked upon, or I've examined, and hands have handled. Haven't been able to do that? Well, yeah, I have. I've received a hug from a brother or sister. I've received support from the body of Christ. I've felt the hands of God. I've felt the hands of God upon me, and I've had the privilege of placing the hands of God upon other people as God has inspired me, as God has directed me. These things, just as they're real in the Apostle John's life, you need to know that they got to be real in your life. And you have to be part of the fabric of the body of Christ to be able to express this. You can't be out on the peripheral. You have to enter in. Remember the tabernacle, the beauty of the tabernacle? You had to be inside to see all the beauty. You had to enter in to see the beauty. And it's the same thing in the church. You must enter into the church, the workings and the doings of the church, in order to experience the beauty of the church. The third foundation of this letter, which we have seen with our eyes. Well, this is pretty much the same thing that Peter visited anyway. He used the same concept. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. John saw the same thing Peter did. They were both on the Mount of Transfiguration. And a big part of the reason for them being there was that they would tell others, I was there. He had just finished telling us, Matthew chapter 16 and 17, just telling us about his crucifixion, but also his resurrection. And we didn't really understand at that time what he was talking about, how that was even possible. But then he brought us up on the mountain, Peter, James, and John. And as we were there, he was transformed before our lives he received this glorious body and then we saw Moses and Elijah but the father said no this is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased hear him and we were directed to Jesus Christ and we understood at that point that he was the fulfillment maybe we didn't understand at that point but later on he is the fulfillment of the word of God and so John saw all the miracles John saw the glory of God in and through Jesus Christ We see the fulfillment of the scriptures and what we have seen and what we have heard. It has changed our lives as well. The fourth foundation is which we have looked upon and our hands have handled. Looked means examined. We looked very closely. Matter of fact, we had even hands-on experience. It was one thing when my wife was pregnant had her belly. I'll use the example of the twins because she had two in there and there wasn't a whole lot of room. And so she'd be, look, look. And all of a sudden you'd see a head or look at this. You'd see a backside or you see a foot pushing against the stomach or whatever. And, And you'd see there's babies in there. There's humans in there. And that's kind of an exciting thing. One's going to be a boy and one's a girl. Well, they were wrong on that one, but they were two humans anyway. And well, kind of, but anyway, there was the day that they were born, and that changed everything. They were two girls, and they, they were humans, and um, sometimes. And as they came out, I got to hold them. And there was that bonding through the holding of them. And, and, and there was the holding of them as they grew up. There was, you know, the changing of diapers and all that stuff, and the feeding, and there was the bathing of them. And, and, and there was just, just that, that time that, for me, I got to be a father, and, and, it, and it just made something special, and it established a lifetime bond. 
and I'm kind of getting the opportunity. Back then, I was scared to death because I'm responsible for these lives. But then I had grandchildren, and it's all the joy with none of the responsibility, at least not as much anyway. And then Henry and Max came over yesterday, and Max is three? Yeah, about three. And he had this airplane that you have this stick, and it's a trigger. You push the airplane against the spring, and you shoot the airplane, and it was broken. He goes, Papa, it works, but it's broken. I go, well, let me see it. And I fixed it. He goes, yeah. And he takes it, and he's out there shooting the airplane all over the place. And he comes and tells me, it's your turn, Papa. It's your, you know, it's just that excitement, that hands-on, that time that we're able to. John had that with Jesus Christ. You should have that with Jesus Christ, too, in your intimate time. Because, again, we have the more sure word of God, the more sure, even sure than the experiences that we see that those had in the past, I'm able to have through God's word. And it's through that that my joy is strengthened. Verse 2, the life was manifest and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifest to us. A fifth foundation that would inspire John to write this letter is, is that he was the word of life. And so he uses that term manifest. He uses it four times in this epistle to be manifest as something that is revealed openly. And how much more open could Jesus have been revealed for who he is as he was hung upon that cross? How has God revealed himself? He's revealed himself in creation, through his word, both New and Old Testament, through godly men and women as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now has manifest himself completely and totally through Jesus Christ. God has revealed himself to mankind. God has revealed himself to us. What are we to do with that? We are to understand and to know God's word and follow through and understand that this is God's word given to imperfect people, and that's okay. And he's given it to us so that we would, well, if we need to, again, verse 9, to confess our sins, knowing that he's faithful to forgive, that we would have joy that is strong in this evil generation, that we would be proactive in our faith, that we would be hands-on to others, that we would rightly represent Christ in all that we do. In John 14, 9, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And then the sixth foundation is this rough description of the church in verses 3 through 4. And that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. And again, that's the way the progression is to work. And it has been working for the past 2,000 some years. That you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. Hide and go seek. Hide and go seek. If you were to explain it to somebody, you may erroneously say, well, the theme of the game is to go find somebody. But again, using the example of my grandchildren, I've come to know that the joy in that game is to be found. And so I'll tell one of my young grandchildren to go hide. And so I'll say, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, here I come. And you hear, <laughs> okay, where is he hiding? I'm hiding over here. Okay. <laughs> Because they're just looking for that, that, that jolt of excitement, of adrenaline, to be found. That needs to be that, that jolt that we constantly have. 
that jolt of endorphins that we have, that I've been found. I've been found. I was lost, and I was desperately lost. And I was headed for destruction, but I was found because it was at one point I heard the voice of Christ. Where are you? I'm right here. I'm right here. And I saw where I was, but I knew where I wanted to go. They don't, you know, with the grandchildren, well, sometimes I'll I'll just not go look for them. (laughs) And and they don't just stay in the closet or wherever they're at and say, thinking that they won, because they want to be found. Sooner or later, they come out and they come to you. And that's what happened with us. We, We came out. We came out of this world. And we came into that relationship with Christ. And so what John is writing about, that which we have seen and heard and declare to you, I'm in verse 3 again, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, and these things we write to you. What things? The things of the foundation that we've been going through in verses 1 through 3. And what is to be built upon that foundation? Our joy that we have found as born-again believers. Psalm 16, verse 11 You will show me the path of life in your presence is the fullness of joy at your right hand or pleasures forevermore. We're going to be looking at the details of joy. We're going to spend a service, not next week, it's Mother's Day, but the week after. And we're going to be looking at what it means to have joy in a believer's life. Since John thought it important to really dive into this concept or present this concept we're going to dive into it next time and so that we understand exactly what it is that is being offered to us father once again we just thank you god that you have given us your word and we just rejoice in this and i just pray father that lord i lift up those in the body who are struggling with whatever it is those things that can so easily rob us of our joy And it's when we lose the proper perspective of you, who you are, and what you're able to do. And so, Father, just minister to your people. Just remind us, Lord, just just as John did, that through your word, we're able to see, we're able to hear, and we're able to handle as well. And so, God, just continue to bless us, minister to us, meet us in the midst of our lives and all that we deal with. Prepare us, Lord, for every good work we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We all stand? Excuse me. Just a couple of announcements first.